Hey everyone, welcome back to TV Guys, now with 80% more vitamin C. I'm Matt. I'm Brian. And I'm Mike. And today we are talking about our favorite <laughs> Bill Lawrence show, Suck It, Ted Lasso. We're talking about Scrubs. That's right. Not Cougar Town. No way. We're not Abed. No, Cougar Town would be at the bottom of that list for sure. This was, I think this is the show that put Bill Lawrence on the map. I think absolutely. Because... Um, I, I, well, Spin City put him on the map. Scrubs True. wouldn't happen if it wasn't for Spin City. Was he the main guy for Spin City? I think he was. I know he was okay. one of the one of the top like executive producers. I don't know if he was credited as showrunner or not. See, that's a show I watched it like a long, long time ago. I have no desire to go back to it. I can't tell you any character names. I know that there's Michael J. Fox and then there's Charlie Sheen, and that's. I mean, I don't really know a whole, whole lot else about it. Fun fact, Spin City is the only confirmed Back to the Future 4 that we were probably ever going to get. There was Christopher Lloyd as a guest star, and they named the episode Back to the Future 4, and then uh, oh, interesting. semicolon, whatever title. I, I think Judgment Day, I think is what it was called. Okay. Well, I saw when they, when they reached like the date of like the future, they were on Jimmy Kimmel together as well. Yeah, but they didn't call that episode Back to the Future 4. So. No. And Bob Zemeckis is like, I ain't going to do one. It didn't well, take no, us long, can't. but we got to Back to the Future already. So cross well, that off your with, bingo card. With Michael J. Fox, you can't. I mean, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd still could, but with his yeah. medical state, he can't do it. True. They missed that opportunity. True. That's true. So I teased earlier. I told Matt and Mike, I said, hey, I'm going to have an announcement. I'm going to wait until the recording. Do oh, you have gosh. idea what this announcement is? No idea. All right. Well, after waiting, well, not waiting because no one knew I was doing this, TV Guys Podcast is now on YouTube. Now, Whoa. We're, we're not video podcasts, but <laughs> the reason I did this is the way we're streaming is you can only look back at like our most recent like 30-some episodes. We This is episode 150-something. Wait, I'm going to look at it real quick. This is going to be episode 156. So we have a ton of episodes that are not accessible yet. So what I've started to do is the process of making them into videos, which is the video part being our logo, and slowly uploading them to our YouTube channel. We currently have, let's see here, 39 episodes on, on YouTube. And I'm not starting from the beginning. I decided to make playlists. So you can look at all of our Star Wars episodes, all of our Marvel ones, all of our Office, all of our Friends episodes, all of our episode breakdowns, all of our holiday episodes, and our TV through the decades episodes. That's what's currently on there right now. By the time you're listening, I'll have more updated as well. So you can go back and like, hey, I'm just going to listen to an Office playlist of all of our Office ones we've done. There. You might be asking yourself, what's the value of a video list uh, podcast on YouTube? Well, Mike's going to feel that answer. You get a stare at Brian and Matt's handsome mugs. The entire yes. time you're listening to their velvet leak or the the the, <laughs> the, the, the velvet deep. Okay, I must stop talking, which is great for a podcast. Apparently, it's going to be on YouTube now. This is and also certain, a great start. And on certain episodes, you can listen to Mike too. So, like, I the so I, I was going to go back and look at the captions that Mike write, writes for the episodes and put that in the description, but they're not all there. So I kind of had to make some. Some of them are just like. Matt and Brian discuss She-Hulk. It's just something as simple as that. True. Um, but the you whole point use is AI like, to write yeah. the comments and then see I how could. good That'd or bad that is. 
Yeah. The whole point was that we can get our old episodes accessible to people. Like our office ranking one that I was talking about beforehand, it's uh, it's one of our best episodes, and now you can listen to it again. Basically, that's that's but that was my goal with this. And the playlist, you can say like you can do like a, do a block of these type of episodes. So we've got Mike here again, as I, I've said, and we already kicked it to him once or twice. I want to take a really quick side tour and ask him if we were going to do a Star Trek episode, like a podcast episode, yes. not a Star Trek episode itself. But if we're going to do a, a podcast episode, Star Trek themed, what would that episode be about? So you're not going to review a specific episode of Star Trek. You just want to do a we could. Star Trek. Or you could say, hey, let's talk about a season of Voyager for some reason. That would be the one. Um, What would be your ideal TV Guys podcast episode about Star Trek? Um, And don't think it. Brian and Matt watch the entire everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. We're not going to do that to you guys. Um, I was trying to think of the Deep Space Nine episode that also has Trouble with Tribbles in it. Yeah. I'm blanking on the name of the episode now. I'm trying to look it up here real quick. Um, but Deep Space Nine um, goes back in time, uh, and they interact with the original crew um, as the Trouble with Tribbles episode is happening. And so you see this classic episode mashed up with a mo- uh, with a you know more modern. I guess it was 1990s, so it's not that modern. Uh, but that that's a fun episode because you got two casts interacting. Did you speaking of that? Did you see this uh, recent season of Strange New Worlds and how they did the crossover with? Um, I am Lord not X? caught up on Strange New Worlds yet. I need to uh, need to get on my Star Trek. I'm only they, caught up. With they the do a crossover right with Lower Decks, and okay. it's the same idea where it's like they some characters from Lower Decks come on and they're actually like the live action then versions of them, and it's really interesting to see that dynamic mesh with Strange New Worlds. Oh, the episode is called Trials and Tribulations. Nice. Of course it is. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Top tier pun level there. I will have you know, um, Deep Space Nine is the only live action Star Trek show that I have not seen a single episode of. I've watched at least one episode of all the other Star Trek live action. I haven't seen the animated series of the original. Well, my confidence in you is plummeting by the second. Hey, I've seen every episode of Voyager and Enterprise, so well, that's Enterprise, you, 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 need to, you need to have seen more Star Trek, Matt. I mean, <laughs> clearly, dang it, Brian. as I'm saying that. All right, well, that was enough triple travel here, and we're gonna get into my lunch. So, this is one of those episodes, as you can tell, in our We Watch series where we talk about one specific episode of a show. And so, when we're talking about scrubs, we we pitched the idea, Brian and I, together like we should talk about scrubs, we haven't done that in a while, and we're like, Well, which episode should we pick? And it was really quick how we came up with my lunch. Cause there's a couple really high quality episodes. Mike, you said beforehand that if you were picking, you probably would have picked the Brandon Fraser episode, the second one. Yeah, absolutely. And that is definitely top tier for sure. Like top five scrubs, maybe in the top two or three, but I, I personally have always felt drawn to my lunch. I think the finale to the actual finale and not the <laughs> part two of the three part finale that we had where they couldn't figure out how to end the show. Um, that one is also top tier scrubs episode, but 
No, my lunch. My lunch comes up right in the middle of season. What did we just say it was season four? I forget which one. Season Sorry. five. Season five. Season five. Thank you. Because I know we we're saying it beforehand and then I got numbers in my head. So season five, it falls just right smack dab in the middle of it. And my lunch is one of those episodes that just comes out of the blue. And we're gonna hit on like the penal the penultimate, the like big climactic scene. At- for sure at the end of this episode we're going to build to that because that's what the episode does as well um and that is like what really drives this episode home there's plenty of good stuff in this episode but honestly it's like that last couple minutes of the episode that make it that high quality show that we're we're talking about so we're going to go dialogue exchange is the one that i remember like word for word yeah yeah, it's really that's a really good moment. There's a lot of great stuff in this episode, especially in the back half of it. Um, but this all I'm not a huge fan of the B story though, but I know I was gonna say, as much of a fan as I am of this A story, the B story really sucks. So I mean, I don't know how much we're gonna spend on that, but we'll of course talk about it because it's part of this episode. So how can we not? Mm-hmm. So we'll just jump right into it because right away they set up the B episode, uh, the B plot. Because JD walks into the nurse's station and he passes by Todd, and uh, Todd's just there and his words waiting for his moment. JD continues and he comes up to Doctor Cox, Elliot, Turk, and um, I think that was just them, and then uh, JD yeah. as well, oh, Carla and JD. Oh, yes. And they're talking about lunch, and JD solidifies this is it. This is the time. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to ask my mentor, Dr. Cox, to lunch, and he is going to go with me. And he even has this, this whole scheme that he, he tries to pull off. Right, Brian? Oh, Brian, I, I kick it to you right as you walk away. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it's interesting because – you, you know, Dr. Cox is, is not going to be up for this. Like any kind of bonding with him, it's always one-sided and, he, but he never gives up hope. And it's, it's just, I don't know if it's admirable or stupid or both. Yeah. So Mike, what is, what is his scheme he comes up with? So the scheme is that he has stolen all of the spoons from the cafeteria. Exactly. And it's especially important because today is soup and, oh, what was it? Soup and frozen uh, soup and smoothie frozen yogurt. No, stupid frozen, stupid yogurt. frozen yogurt day. Yes. Smoothie was where... what it actually is. Spoiler alert. Yeah, but it actually is um, salad and smoothie day. And so that right. I like the little joke yeah. with Elliot. It's like she said, I'm going to have what she said. I'm going to have tomato, tomato and strawberry. And strawberry. Yep, and then I'm still gonna have tomato and strawberry. Yes. Now uh, this, so we quickly have that first little dose of Cox doesn't want to spend time with JD. Sets up a little bit of the conflict and sets up too that this episode is going to be. It's the emotional thread of the episode is the JD Cox relationship because yep. we're going to see later how Cox can help JD, and then JD's also able to turn around and help Doctor Cox, and it's all about that bonding over lunch. But right now we're setting up the conflict of no, he doesn't want to. Blah blah blah. And so in this opening scene, as we're setting up that thesis statement, we're reminded that this is in the season five is in the middle of Carla's pregnancy and she has a pregnancy craving, 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 man, Mike, you've infected us. You're welcome. <laughs> a pregnancy craving for a hot Italian sausage. And then, of course, there's the Todd. I got a hot Italian sausage boy right here. Exactly. So Todd 
solidifies himself as I'm going to be Todd this episode. I'm right away in this first part. I'm going to be first and foremost. And so this is the start of one of the worst B plots. I feel like I've, like there's some bad episodes in scrubs, like my cold shower. I remember like this episode. So oh, yeah. And the, this Todd storyline of is Todd gay? Is he not gay? He's going to use his gayness to hit on women and get into their vulnerabilities and stuff. Like Todd has always been a gross character. Yeah. And just to focus on that aspect of it is a swing and a miss. The only thing I really like about Todd in nothing, it's not in this episode. I like the dynamic where they later on, they say that even though he seems like such an idiot, he's one of the best surgeons and they show how like he just is in his, he doesn't get in his head about it. Like, what is everyone thinking about? And it goes to Todd and he's like, dum, 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 Chinese scalpel. <laughs> like, I like that aspect that despite his being, he's a good surgeon. That didn't yeah. come up today though. Well, do you remember Taryn Killam is on a later season of Scrubs and yeah. there's a whole gag where he's doing impressions. And of course yeah. it's Taryn Killam. So he has a ton of impressions. And finally, uh, I think it's Turk looks at JD and goes, yeah, we gave him too much Jimmy. Yeah. Like, I feel like this whole episode is too much Todd. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, jokes absolutely. that they set up with Todd where he has to be patient to get the payoff to his pervy jokes. Like, that's kind of funny. And then without him for the entire rest of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, that you're right. That's a good setup, but then the the rest of it following it, it's especially egregious because if you look at the rest of this episode then, what does Elliot do this episode? What does Carla do? What does Turk do? What does the janitor do? What does Kelso do? All yeah. five of them really are only there to be like the bodies for helping out these uh, patients who need the transplant, the transplants. And just to yeah. say, hey, we still have doctors around. They're helping them. But they really don't contribute anything to the emotional part of it. And even no. it, like Turk has a little bit of the funny with it. But it, it's really just the storyline's not funny. And to sap three of them into an unfunny storyline is offensive <laughs> as more offensive than anything Todd says, actually. Yeah. So this will, this will be, this will be relevant. I'll bring it back. So I've been listening to the pod meets world podcast about Bobby's world. And whenever there's an episode where like, it's all about Eric or it's all about Sean and like Corey is kind of in the background. They always joke that they would do that when Ben Savage had finals so that he wouldn't have to be around as much and he could focus on, on, on work. And so whenever they get to those episodes, they're like, Oh, this is a, this is a Ben S finals episode. So this is like a, I think Janitor and Kelso and Elliot and Turk and Carla all had finals. <laughs> yeah, in their in their school that they all with their varying age groups were able to attend together. Yes, that's what happened. They all had finals. Of course. All right, let's jump to the next scene because uh, JD does end up going out for lunch. And uh, instead of going down to the cafeteria, he decides to go to the local grocery store. Um, how he gets there is a bit of a mystery that we find out within about a minute and a half. But he's walking through the grocery store saying hi to all these people that he knows really well and acting like, you know, JD does to the people that work there. And uh, as he's going through there, he bumps into Dr. Cox, who's like, oh, did you follow me? He's like, no, a friend dropped me off. And we see the little sideways. That what happens, Brian? I try to remember. Was he was he hanging on to um, the back of his car on the, on on the skateboard? top of his car? On the top of his car, yes. Eagle. There it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, even then, he says a friend. <laughs> he didn't lie, I guess. Well, it depends I just, on who you ask. Cox would Cox would say that's a lie. 
So, I mean, obviously, we're not meant to think too hard about this. But how does he no. get on without being found? How does he get off without being found? He would have had to get because he couldn't be on the car before because he, he would see that walking up to his car. He yeah. has to be like simultaneously as he's shutting the door, he's like jumping on the roof. But then you'd hear the clunk from up top. Exactly. And when he yells the eagle, you can see in the car, Dr. Cox looks around like, hey, wh- where's that noise coming from? So Cox can hear what's going on on top. But, yeah. I mean, we're not supposed to. It's a silly, goofy gag, but still. Nothing's too nerdy for this podcast. You are right. See? And that's why we work so well together. <laughs> or I'm sorry. That's why we... That's why we exist together. Let's just let's lower the standard. <laughs> All right. So he gets to the grocery store. Uh, flashback. He's talking with Dr. Kick, Dr. Kicks, Dr. Cox. And guess who they bump into? Um, our Mad TV alum, Nicole Sullivan, playing Jill Tracy. She also was on episodes of Spin City. So she had a relationship with huh. Bill Lawrence, knew him. And she was also on King of Queens, I believe. I, I watched yeah, that. She a was a regular bit. on King of Queens. I thought so. She was. The dog walker who also walked Arthur. That's and somehow right. that became a regular multi-season character. Did she, did her and Patton Oswald, did they do like a relationship between them at any point? No, I don't think so. I, don't, well, I, I, I watched the whole series a long time ago. What did you say, Mike? I kind of thought they had. Maybe. If they did, I forgot about it. Ha ha. I might have known something about a show I rarely have seen. So ha ha. I've seen all of it, but it's been a long time since I've seen all of it. And I don't have a desire to go back. It's like, it's, it's like diet. Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. And it's in the same universe too. So here is the launching and signing incident for the episode, especially for JD and the struggles that he goes through in this episode. Jill is that annoying patient. Dr. Cox and JD have had her before. She's a, a struggle for them to get through. And Cox abandons JD and he has to end up having lunch with her. And she's telling him that, oh, she was supposed to meet a guy for a date. And she makes it very clear that that guy's not showing up and she's just kind of laughing it off. Like, huh, he's not into her. Well, he's, he's not. So I'm waiting here for an hour. And so she's just kind of goes off and is spiraling and anyone from the outside can tell like, Oh, this sad person, but you can understand why the guy didn't show up. Yeah. So uh, they're still talking. Cox runs off. We have the little bit of the gag with uh, Rebecca who works there at the grocer and uh, he's, eating out of the trail mix and so he gets in trouble for stealing and gets kicked out and uh walked out by the security even though everyone else in the grocery store is also grazing as well and after security drags him out then we get title card commercial we come back scene two after commercial jd is back to the hospital and then this is the other so that we we had jill as the inciting incident for jd the inciting incident for cox and his conflict through this episode are the three transplant patients so there are yeah. three patients in the hospital that are circling the drain well two of them are circling the drain they need one needs a new heart valve one needs a new liver um and the other needs a new kidney but this this guy that needs new kidney um that Dr. Cox, Mr. Bradford, that's it. Mr. Bradford needs a new kidney and Dr. Cox has a clear connection with him. He's his uh, patient. And so you see a little bit of their back and forth as Cox is dealing with Mr. Bradford. I leave these pockets just in case, because it's like, it's, uh, you don't need it to be me talking the entire episode. I'll just. 
And they don't really talk much about the first two people. Like, yeah, it's, it's the big thing is that there's three people who need the um, the trans the transplants, but the, yeah. it really focuses on the third one, which they call Doctor Cox's guy, and he's like the one that I don't know if the other two even have lines. No, I don't think that they do. I think they might even have like some. No, they don't have a ventilator on. I'm, I'm <laughs> my brain is making up stuff, but you're right. They don't have anything on because as as they were saying, like they're circling the drain of like they have less than hours to survive. So it's like they yeah. aren't. They don't have much to say. They're just barely hanging on. Yeah, we needed them to be there because it's it's different than if it's just one one patient who died. So they needed yeah. to. That's the only, the only thing is like I wish they would have had some kind of more stakes and had the other other characters make a bigger difference. Yeah, it, it makes sense though because they are the the canary in the coal mine. It, like they're the representation more than they yes. are the character. Like there's a reason that Mister si- uh, Mister Sykes because it's Mrs. Sykes, she's one of them. But there's a reason Mister Bradford has lines is because we're supposed to draw some attachment to him. We're supposed to see what Cox sees in him and actually yeah. see a human being. Because when the other two pass away, it's like oh that's sad that people died. But at the same time, that's just what happens. It's a hospital; you can't save everyone. Yeah. Yep. Um, so after we are introduced to these three characters, Dr. Cox comes out, gives his Dr. Cox monologue, talks about oh, the reason why I get out of bed every morning is because uh, and like, you know, yeah. he goes on his little thing. Is it a chance to escape Jordan's morning breath? Sure. Scotch mm-hmm. too early to drink it. Yes. But people, it's never too early to think about it. And of course, his Hugh Jackman hate. That drives him to get out of bed. And after all of that, Turk gives this nice line of, you know, it's ironic because four people just died while you were talking. You know what I'd like to see? If they ever did a Scrubs reunion, I wanted to see um, Dr. Cox walk in as as JD is singing The Greatest Showman, which is a musical (laughs) that is Hugh Jackman. Yes. Or Les Mis, or both. But no, JD would be a Greatest Showman guy over Les Mis for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the whole whole point of this and showing us that is we got JD's narration right beforehand. This is where Dr. Cox thrives. And it's almost like this is like the part of the job he loves and maybe even oh, yeah. a little bit of cockiness in it. Well, I mean, it's Dr. Cox, so there's always cockiness, mm-hmm. but a little bit of like, I am the guy keeping these people alive. And I, in these times of crisis, mm-hmm. I rise to the occasion and I kick its butt. And yeah, so we needed him starting at that spot. And don't forget, we get a and don't forget we get a great Bob Kelso quote in there about how he's going to bring up the transplant while he's watching stag flicks with the other uh, oh yeah uh, heads of the hospitals, which uh, which just great oddball line that actor delivers oddball lines just so well. He does. <laughs> Jesse yeah. Organs, Bob. Don't need the visual of old men with never mind. Yeah, if you if you know you know. Yeah, if you know you know. But you're right about Dr. Cox. Like he, he's not going to be one to purposely put patients in danger. He does care about the patients. But I think he does get that thrill from being the savior, being like, I kept you alive. Yeah. And we're going to see how much he cares about patients, which is such a great part of this episode and his dynamic too. But it's like you, you get both. You get the I'm good at what I do because I'm cocky about it. But at the same time, I'm good at what I do because it hits so hard when he can't be that doctor. Yeah. You know, I think thing is interesting. So I'm still watching through Grey's Anatomy. I'm, I watched a bunch earlier today and 
on that show, I mean, obviously the dramaticness, it's all about surgeons. Like everyone's a surgeon. Like Weber's like the head of the hospital, he's a surgeon. But in this show, it's a very clear divide. You have, divide. You have the medical people and the, the surgeon people. And it's interesting to see how like in that show, all the dramatic, all the dr- drama comes from, they need this surgery. Whereas this one, you can have that. I mean, today, this, this today it was because of surgery, but you have the other, whole other aspect of the medical side where it's not about surgery. So it, 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 it takes it in a different direction. Yeah. It's random, absolutely. but I, th- I thought so. Yeah. And I, I don't, and that's where, like, I know a lot of people have critiques of House of like, okay, four doctors wouldn't be experts in every field of medicine. And it's like, okay, yeah, but that's the point of this show. The point isn't that it's a medical show; it's a, it's a Sherlock Holmes spinoff. And so, yeah, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes got a got a, got an MD. Yeah. All right. So after we had that setup scene and we get the stakes of the three transplant, uh, not victims, well, soon to be. Um, But after we get that, they cut back to, I had gotten ahead of myself, Jill bumps into JD again at that grocery store. This time there's a shoplifter sign up that starts the scene and he's standing right next to it looking like a sad puppy. If you think of when Creed and Michael had that in the office. Yeah. And so Jill finds him again, and at first he tries to hide. You know, he gets on the um, that one guy's grocery cart and is hanging onto the side as it's going around. And Jill's just walking; he's trying not to be noticed. The whole thing tips over, and naturally, this time he's noticed. You know, he can jump on top of a car and not get noticed, but hang on the side of the grocery cart, he's going to get found out. I mean, no he... the grocery cart doesn't notice somehow. <laughs> No, you don't I notice the giant the weight card. on the other side. I mean, I know JD is not a, not a huge guy, but you'd notice the weight of an adult man hanging onto your cart. You know what I noticed when I watched it this time? Because I was I was looking at the cart. It tips like it's going to go over at one point before it does. And so it was like, you have to catch that in order for it to not do it. And so there's yeah. no, there's no way. This guy's in on it. He's, well, it, he's yeah. a JD plant. It, it probably did tip in real life and they just used different takes. In well, yeah, of course, of course that's what it was. It's like, yeah. it did tip, but not all the way at that moment. Yeah. All right. So then we get to Jill and JD having lunch. She drills home this idea that Jill is sad. She's been dumped. I do like this line though. Cause she's like, Oh, I, I was here f- thinking there's a 50% chance. The guy who blew me off yesterday got his days wrong and he'd be waiting here with roses. And she goes, is that sad? JD, it's not not sad. And this is also uh, a plot you couldn't have in the age of cell phones because you would just text, hey, like, oh, because if that somehow happened, they got their grocery store date date wrong, you could just text. But this was, I mean, they, they were cell phones, but they weren't like they are today. I mean, do you really think the guy is giving Jill his number? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Point. Well, then how and do they make the date? Did. Even if he did and she texted him, by the way, Jill is the type that would text about 90 times within the course of two hours. Um, but she would text him and be like, oh, his, his phone just got lost or it died or something like that. She'd yeah. make up something. Mm-hmm. But it is a little sad, of course, because it, it's not just that she's stupid. And I think that's part of like what we see in this is that like if she does try and overdose, even though that's not what actually killed her, but she does attempt suicide, it seems like, yeah. and that she is painfully aware 
and just is yeah. in this blind hope and this last ditch attempt. And that actually yeah. is really depressing to think about and go a little bit further than that. And that, that is why JD feels so bad. And we'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah. She's not but, stupid. She's desperate and yeah. clinging on to any little bit of hope, even though she probably knows it's true. That, that's why she's depressed and look and seeking out JD and yeah. Cox. Cause she wants any kind of connection, even if it's not romantic. I mean, this is a character that has a history of some pretty sad things. Oh, yeah. uh, her first appearance is that she has to stop working so much because she's so stressed. It's ruining her health. Her second appearance is that her engagement's going to blow up in her face because of some bad decisions that she made. Um, she's a character that's had a history of some really kind of unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is, it is a sad way for her to go out. It, it's a surprising that we hit, get hit with rabies and it's kind of a smart way to kind of do what they do at the end of this episode. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a twist, but it's kind of in that realm where it's like, Oh, surprise, this reveal just what you didn't think. Um, so that, that this time when we see her and as she's having that lunch, then she also talks about how she hasn't been able to be on any medication. She hasn't been able to get an appointment with her therapist. And so she's just really in a bad spot. And then it cuts out and JD just blows off that whole, that's an awesome story, Jill. <laughs> it's true. Blah, blah, blah. They go to a little bit more with Todd. This one, we find out that no one has actually slept with Todd. All these people that he said that he slept with, they didn't. Um, but fun thing, this episode is the introduction of Gloria and Hook security guard relationship. Oh yeah, I caught that. We, we didn't already know that. No, we did not know that yet. So we found that. Um, it right could have been after, a one-off joke, but they, they kept it coming back. They did. And I think they had them get married or something like that. I can't remember exactly. They, they had her. He, he knocked her up. I knew that much. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Of course that's what the kind of show this is. And I don't think it was a JD Flash uh, uh, or JD fantasy. I think it was real. I think you're right, too. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, so then I, I'm not. I'm kind of blowing past that because there's really not too much to say about that. that. That's all there I, is to say. I don't want to yeah. get back to to Doctor Cox and JD. And so we do have Cox again with Bradford, um, and then we have uh, the flashback. Doctor Cox, we haven't found you a kidney yet, but I have some ideas. I don't know why I call it a flashback, but JD's imagining in the bathtub he lost his kidney. Dr. Cox took it out. He's like, all right, well, that's fine. I can survive with one kidney. Dr. Cox pulls out the other kidney. Well, we're just going to sell this one. And then he snaps back out of it with a stay away from my organs. The only fantasy of the episode, by the way, which is weird for a Scrubs episode. That's this true. Episode I didn't does think that. Dodge, uh, they have all of the main Scrubs things you'd expect. Uh, wacky janitor thing. JD is called a girl's name. And there is one fantasy, and there's really two flashbacks. But, I mean, for a normal Scrubs episode, those are really low numbers. Normally, we'd yeah. see three or four fantasies at least. Because this one kind of um, veers more into the dramatic side of things. Yeah. We have another one coming up in just a couple minutes, but it's a janitor's sideways. So... Hmm. His little imagining. So the the scene that follows is we get just a little bit of oh, Jamie yeah. airing his uh, frustration yeah. with Turk. And um, 
he, he's telling him how he can't go to this grocery store because every time he finds Jill and she keeps following him around everywhere. And he's like, like, I'm her only friend in the world. It's pathetic. And Turk's like, I'm going to go talk to Carla. JD, I'll come too. Yeah. So a nice, nice little turn of its head on that one. But here and, is where, oh, go ahead. And they're setting up the dramatic, like, like oh, she, she's so annoying. I, I, I'm her only friend. There's, they're laying the seed work throughout the whole episode that, that's leading to us feeling bad for her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is that other little uh, imagining thing is that Carla and Elliot are talking about uh, Todd and like, we know what's going on. Todd's gay. And Turk's like, hey, Todd's not gay. And they're like, oh, look at all the evidence. He has leather jeans and three different colors, uh, all this stuff. And janitor pops in and is like, I'll tell you when I first suspected he was gay. Oh, yeah. It was very subtle. And then we see uh, JD <laughs> like oiling up this big muscly man and uh it's like i'm gonna use i'm using olive oil so i can lick it off later and then he's like making the pecs dance like yeah make him dance and i love janitor's <laughs> face he just looks in with that like goofy surprise Ooh, face oh yeah Jan- and janitor happened to walk in on it <laughs> the emoji face yes Ooh, jd tell them that that's not real it happened i was there all right, next scene. Again, another scene we don't really have to belabor, but it happened, just so that we all know. It happened. All right, so we get back to Dr. Cox. He's walking along, passes by Gloria and Leonard walk, uh, making out. I like this little opening line. I think I just got the move on signal from a hook. From a hook, yeah. <laughs> so after that, we're back into the thick of what's going on. Dr. Cox gets an update. Um, no one... Like Bradford's doing fine, but everyone else is still not looking great. And then JD gets called over and uh, he needs to help with this other nurse. So he walks into this room and he's like, do you, do you know what's going on? She was admitted a short time ago. She hasn't regained consciousness and then looks down and uh, it's Jill. It's she OD'd on cocaine. And so she, he's like, do you think it could have been an OD? And he says, you know, she's been stood up on a couple of dates. She hadn't seen it. She was depressed and all that sort of stuff. And so then that's when JD, it settles in with him. He didn't read the signals and he didn't catch what was going on. He had the, the information in front of him and he could have made a diagnosis and he didn't and realized it's on him. Yeah. That's where the whole whole episode kind of shifts from. It's really not a dramatic episode until this moment. Yeah. Yep. That's where it, it changes. Because then, like, then there's a little bit of his, you know, in the hospital, there's rules for everyone. And it kind of does a little callback to the Todd storyline, but then it jumps back. And he says, and then one of the rules is that when there's good news for one doctor, and we see Dr. Cox come out, good news, I got the organs that we need. And uh, then it's like, then there's usually bad news for another doctor. And that's yeah. where Jay and I really like that rule theme holding it together because we're going to see that flip at the end of the episode. And that's that's such a great dynamic, how this mm-hmm. sets up that relationship between Cox and J.D. That Jay yeah. needed Co- J.D. Get, needed Cox and Cox was able to be that for him. And then the vice versa happens. And it's, it's really clever writing. Yeah. And it's one of several times that we get. Uh, you know, the dichotomy of the doctor is trying its, his best to take care of the patient, but also has to go quickly from one patient to the next. I think we get something really similar in uh, the episode Her Story, where Arla realizes that the doctors aren't listening to the patients. And you get a little bit of that same thing in this story. 
um, with, you know, how much can they really listen with the fact they're also trying to keep people alive at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it was the first one that Jill, that Nicole Sullivan was on where it was like the, the 12 second rule or something like that. Like mm. doctors only spend an average of 12 or 15 seconds or something like that with their patients. And I think yeah. it was the same idea that they played with of like actually listen to what's going on with your patient. And it was kind of that same theme again with her. And so it makes sense. They brought this actress back in that same character to say, you didn't learn your lesson from that time. You got to be listening, even though she wasn't in the hospital setting. Yeah. Agreed. All right. And then the final little scene before we get to the, the commercial break to kind of drive this home was a conversation between JD and Jill Tracy's mom um, who gave permission to use her organs. And then she asked the question, is there anything anyone could have done? Mm-hmm. And of course, JD in his narration says, yeah, I could have. Unless you mean me. He says, no, unless you mean me in his narration. Yeah. All right. We come back from the commercial break. This is where the episode really picks up with its emotional element that we were talking about. We had that turn in that second act. Third act starts off with um, Mr. Bradford and Dr. Cox talking. And Dr. Cox is like, hey, how's your new kidney? Showing that, yep, they went ahead. They got the organs. They put them in. And he's following up on his patient. He comes out and immediately has that conversation with all the doctors, gathers them around, and does the um, – he's like, we got to win. And it's a rare win, so we're going to whisper it for some reason. And then they all give the props to him, and he gives the props to them. And they kind of all do like a celebratory lap mm-hmm. except jd kind of like doesn't you can tell he's not like really celebrating yeah uh before we get I'll, I'll tell before we get to that there is dr kelso his his only other part in this episode is when these little groupings. oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, remember, I, I, so like, I can't hear a word you're saying <laughs> like it's because you're whispering him. it's not because i'm old and uh He's like, matter of fact, I'm going to go over to my office to tinker with my new computer. Turk says, oh, what kind is it? That's about 3.30. And then he just laughs. He's like, I heard what you said, but that joke's a classic. Yeah, when does the fact of, okay, you saying the word tinker makes you sound like you're a minimum 75 years old. <laughs> uh, listen, I went ahead and go took a tinker before we started because I had a lot of water today. And that didn't make me 75. So, okay. I tell a lot of bad dad jokes, but that's worse. That's bad by my standards. I always know you're going to be disapproving of my jokes when you say the the way that you said okay just then. You're like, okay. Like, there's so much disappointment in just those two letters. You just... Because I, I have a low bar for, for, for jokes, and sometimes, sometimes you manage to even go underneath them. I'm a limbo master. You know... Not everyone would take pride in that, but it's hard to get that low. And I, yeah. I, I do it like a champ. All right. So now, as you had said, Dr. Cox notices and asks, why aren't you giddy with praise? And uh, then JD lays on. He's like, anyone could have seen that she was in trouble. So Dr. Cox does the nice thing, invites him to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. We jump back to the Todd stupid storyline, although – this, you kind of said this, I don't know if you said this beforehand or if you said this when we were talking about it, um, but this is the funniest that Turk has in this episode because Elliot and Carla are just like, oh, he's our new gay best friend and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and 
Turk's like, just leave him alone. Every time you meddle, you know who suffers? Me. And then, like, they still are doing that. And he's just like, this is just going to come back to me. Mm. Is this when they talk about the janitor being a chiropractor or is that later? They did. There's more There's more of the flashbacks. This one is yeah. actual flashbacks where uh, the janitor is giving uh, Turk the chiropractor help. Mm-hmm. He says, don't worry, I practice on a bunch of mop heads. And then you see a bunch of mop heads broken off from the, from the handles. <laughs> I, I do like the the yell that Donald Faison gives uh, is just tremendous. It's like that's a perfect scream. Yeah, I've seen previews. There's a new show coming out with um, it's Donald Faison and John Cryer, and I don't know what the premise is, but I like those two actors, so I might check it out. I I've seen some of the previews for it, and it's like, oh, this is the the jokes that you're trying to sell the show with these jokes aren't funny so i haven't seen the jokes i'm, I'm just going off of actors yeah going off of actors i was like yeah maybe but going off of ads i'm like nope it doesn't look funny mm-hmm. um oh and then after that that flashback and all that and uh turk's like it's fine does this sound fine to you and his neck's making the noise and janitor pops out of the shadows like i can, I can fix, fix that, that for you yeah <laughs> does it again turk falls over he's like oh, that'll be 500 dollars. yeah he's like neil flynn probably had to show up for maybe five minutes on set i mean not actually but just exaggerating yeah. and he still gets paid full royalties for the episode yeah, between that and the one little flashback thing with JD that he did, he has one other line, and that's with Todd again. Yeah, in later on. It's final scene. Yeah, he, he got very little. Him and Kelso had so little to do with this episode. Yeah, I almost forgot Kelso. They, they forgot Kelso was there. I mean, they, those little jokes probably like, we needed something for him to do in this episode. He could have just not been there. Yeah. Well, let's get to like an actual really strong scene. This is a great mentor scene um, between JD and Cox when they get to lunch. Although it starts with a nice funny joke that I've, I've used a version of this joke because someone's like right outside the grocery store. Could you spare a few minutes for AIDS research? And uh, Dr. Cox, yes, I can. I'm just not sure how much we'll get done. He's like, I'll tell you what, we'll go over here and brainstorm while we wolf down these sandwiches. I've made that similar joke when people, cause like they won't ask, do you want to donate money to help support cancer research? They say to help support cancer. And I'll often be like, you know what? C- cancer has enough of a head start. I don't want to give it any help. <laughs> Most people don't understand what I'm saying when I say that. I'm like, they'll get it later. I don't know if they'll laugh, but they'll get it later. Or they won't. You never or, they won't. or they'll be like, what is wrong with this guy? Oh, okay. People, so the people actual tell yes. people There's... tell stories about you. <laughs> What'd you say, Mike? People tell stories about you, Matt. They tell stories. They go home I... like you can't believe this horrible human being that I met today. I Said guarantee you. Has a good head start. I I am that guy in college. Someone I don't remember how I got a hold of this. I know who I got it from, but I don't know how I knew he had this. But I borrowed someone's banana suit on a, just a random off day. It's like a day in March. It's not like Halloween or something. And I wore a banana suit all day long, all over the school. I worked to my job. I worked at school. So I was like a janitor. <laughs> so it's not like I had a dress code, but I wore it to classes. I wore it to school. A teacher comes into the class like, why are you in a banana suit? I'm like, why are you in a people suit? 
And they just he just looked at me and then just went and did his lesson. Only question I have, you just breeze past, oh, I have a friend who had a banana suit. Yeah, again, I breezed past it because I, I don't remember why he had it. And I don't remember what it was for or how, how I found out he had Eddie, it. Eddie, how did you know he had a banana suit? Exactly. And I, I, I wish I remembered the details of that part. That, that part's eluding me. I don't got it. So I used to have a gorilla suit when I was in college. And I would run into people's dorm rooms, jump around, make gorilla noises, and then go sprinting away as they chased me down the hallway. The best part of this banana suit, I actually knew someone who legitimately, legitimately had an irrational fear of bananas. And I'm walking to the school and I get to this hallway. I come around the hallway and he's at the other end of the hallway and he's walking towards me and he just stops and his eyes widen and he's like, no. And I knew what I had to do and I chased him and I ran all the way across campus running after him and he's screaming, get away from me. I traumatized this poor man as a giant banana and I, I caught up to him, but I don't even know what I did. I don't think I did anything. It's just like the fun of it was the chase. But you know what I just thought of? Okay. You know, when you're listening to a podcast, you have the skip 30 seconds button. I don't know why someone would, but we're about to talk to a, a talk about a very important dramatic scene. And skip 30 seconds. Well, I don't know why he's scared of the bananas. <laughs> oh, I'm just here for the rabies jokes, actually. <laughs> We haven't gotten that far yet. Rabies causes a fear of water. Yeah. Also, oh. I wish they would have set up something about her having rabies. Like, it makes, oh, I got bit by something, but it's just completely out of left field. Unless um, they did, and I missed it. And one more little tangent before we get back into the episode, the serious stuff. Did you guys yeah. do the new Hunger Games movie? No. Someone Not gets yet. rabies in it. And they decide to torment them with water because rabies causes a fear of water. And I'm like, this guy watched an episode of The Office. I, I'm pretty sure. Something like that, yeah. It was, and they they said it so seriously, but that has been ruined for me because of that Office episode. I know there's there is some correlation with rabies and water, but I don't think yeah. it's as simple as they they they're afraid of water. I don't. I don't yeah. know exactly. I, I actually got a rabies shot this year because a bat was in my house. I think it may have bit me, but that <laughs> it may have. I, I don't know. Did I tell you? I, I told you about that. Wait, a while did back. you say you may have got rabies this year? No, I didn't get rabies this year, but I had a bat in my house. A rabies shot, right? Yeah. Well, I got the first round of it. If I, if there was anything serious by now, I would have had symptoms and would have been too late, but. I got I went in and got a rabies shot, and they charged me five hundred bucks even after insurance, which was awesome. Do you happen to black out for long periods of time, and then when you finally get consciousness again, there's like big claw marks in your walls and stuff? No reason for asking. Not, I just not lately. <laughs> not well, lately. It was freaky though. Like I woke up and I woke up and and there was a bat in my bedroom. I don't know how it got in. <laughs> Were you hanging upside down over your bed? Uh, how do you sleep? <laughs> uh, you know, Michael Keaton in the original Batman, he did. Yeah. All right. Let's get back. Let's, Let's get, get back. back to whatever we're doing. All right. So JD and Dr. Cox are having, having their lunch. This, this is again, like I said, a good scene because this, what Dr. Cox says is actually really confirm, like affirming thing because 
when when you're in a job like what what they do or like if you're a police officer or you're in the, like a position where it's not just like hey, if you mess up then you know you mess up at your job whatever it's like if you mess up lives are on the line and t- there, there's such a high pressure that goes into that and so for dr cox to be like when you are not at the hospital when you're not on the job and you're out in the real real world and you bump into someone, you you can't be on like that. You if you catch something, it's not on you because she didn't come to the hospital. You just found her here at the grocery store, and I really think that that's a smart uh, approach to take. And that maybe writer got this from people who worked in the healthcare industry because I'm sure that that is something that happens. We, we saw the Brandon Fraser episode, the very first one where they talked about like how they couldn't get out of that mindset. Like when you're a doctor, you're a doctor everywhere you go. And that like little warning signs that you see, if you pick it up, then you're like, you, you can't not be a doctor. And so to say there is time that it's okay that you're not a doctor. You can't blame yourself for the stuff that happens outside the hospital. I think that's a really good conversation they had. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy has uh, one of the rare times that Dr. Cox compliments JD. He says he's seen yeah. it ruin a lot of good doctors, and I won't let it happen to you. Yeah. Which yeah. is an unusual moment to have Cox actually be honest and admit that he thinks JD is talented and good at his job. And because JD is so distraught, he's not going to be like, everyone, look, he said I'm a great doctor, which if he wasn't distraught, he definitely would have done. Yeah. And instead we just get his narration. He said, and because he said I, that wouldn't happen to me, I knew it wouldn't. And it's, it's a very short scene. Like when you actually think about it, cause it's a 30 minute show. When you actually think about the, the length that happens or the, the headway that's made, I guess, in this scene, like there, it, a lot gets done in a short amount of time and it's just yeah. very good, concise writing. All right. So after that emotional scene, we come back. We have just a little bit more of Todd. And this is Carla and Elliot deciding, like, we're going to tell Todd, hey, you're you're gay. It's fine. We accept you for that, et cetera, et cetera. And so then Todd's like, I don't know. And so then he decides to embrace it and he starts like hitting on the different guys around and uh bumps into turk and he's like hey buddy you and i should have some sex sometime and turk's like see i knew this would come back to me <laughs> and that's yeah one of like two funny lines in this little b plot that we have yeah that and i, I like the janitors later too yes that's the other one i think mm-hmm. i right. mean just turk's part of the b plot is so relatable you've all been in that room where there's a conversation happening you don't want to be in there and eventually you know it's going to blow up in your face and turk has been calling that it's going to blow up in his face it blows up in his face he turns to him points out it blew up in his face and it is one of those moments where you're watching you're like i understand turk i understand yeah it's like on that 70 show and i forget what kitty says and red red's like oh that's what we're gonna do today we're gonna fight yes it's like that same energy same energy it's that red fighting energy yeah all right so we get we get the turn here it's uh another short little thing but a lot happy see uh oh something's wrong with these uh with these i keep saying transplant 
the organs. There you go. Something's wrong with these transplanted organs. And so Mrs. Sykes has some issues. Um, and Mr. Dr. Cox was in is like, okay, well, Mr. Bradford, he's up and conscious and he can talk to me. I need to check in with him. And Rasta, oh, miss, I'm doing okay. Uh, my feet are a little numb. And Dr. Cox gets that little look of like, uh-oh. And so he's like, well, I'll go check on it. He comes out, comes to find out Jill didn't die of an overdose. She died, as we had been saying, from rabies. And so then that's when Dr. Cox calls everyone together. He's like, okay, all of our transplant patients are infected. We know what we're dealing with. Let's get involved. We can do it. That everyone, all hands on deck, they're going to fight this. Yeah. And it, it came out of nowhere. Like I said, rabies, like, they, like I said, it was just, it's so random. But yeah, it did. And then all of a sudden, they, it already took a dramatic turn before. And now it's just bumped it up a notch. Yeah. Rabies, the silent killer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so or, or after, should we say the foaming barking killer it is yeah, yeah. Af- after that we'll finish out the todd storyline because that's that's what we, we end with is todd comes up to carly and elliot and he starts hitting on them again and is being inappropriate and motorboating and all that sort of stuff and like what are you doing and he's oh excuse me there you go like, what are you doing? He says, you know, I got to thank you gals for outing me. Chicks dig gay guys. And so then after that, like, oh, crap, they've realized what they've done. And then they also like Carla was saying, is like, I can't believe I no, not Carla. Elliot, Elliot. Like, I can't believe I let you into the fitting room yesterday while I was trying on bras. And thoughts. that was a very special time for me. Gross. Is that when yeah. he goes right into? Do we do we do we just end end the Todd storyline at this point with him yeah, going that, and like hitting on that everybody? happens immediately after that because yeah. then they're just like oh no and they you know storm off and then Todd's still there he sees all these people walking down the hallway nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that woman and man short tall old young and bumps into uh, the janitor <laughs> what are you I'm the Todd. Yeah. And just the freaking whiplash to go from that line right into how to save a life by the fray immediately. Yeah. Cause he, he makes that line, I'm the Todd. And then there's like a bow, bow, like a little guitar lick thing. Yeah. And then how to save a life. And it's just like, how do you, you can't do such a turnaround like that. Yeah. That song is like the medical show dramatic episode theme song. It is. It's such a good song because the like there's a realness to the song because like it did come from the the songwriter like a personal story he had to someone he lost to suicide, and it it, it really hits strong for this episode if you know that uh, the past of that that the use of it to be like oh I didn't catch it with Jill even though she didn't die from suicide there's still those feelings it's like I didn't catch it with her. And because of that, like if I would have only known to actually go a little bit further and to care, like what could have happened if I did that? And so um, to, to even boil it down from that into just simply we're trying to save these three people, even outside of the mental health part of it, like we're just trying to save these lives themselves. It works on both of those levels, plus just the tone of it kind of gets you gets you into the sad sector i guess yeah it's an overplayed song and it's an overused song but not in this moment yeah yeah uh, and scrubs is i think scrubs is the show that uses music better than any other tv show i would argue uh scrubs has so many of those good moments 
And this is one of the reasons that this is a top episode is because of how well they use the music in this episode. And this is yeah. one where it is the real song. Throughout a lot, a lot of Scrubs, when you watch it on, on streaming, they have different music in the background because of different rights. So I have DVDs. I, have, I, I don't watch DVDs. I should try to sell them at some point. But the DVDs you have, like the original aired songs that they that they played. They even had that in this episode earlier on. This is a song you couldn't replace. You couldn't like change this needle drop with something else. Yeah. And, and that was like a knockoff. But they had at the beginning of this episode, after the the theme song, the title card, right when they come in, they're playing like a version. I don't know if the original aired with Clocks by Coldplay, but right away after that um, theme card, it's playing something that sounds like it's emulating clocks, but it isn't quite that. And so whether they didn't renew the rights for their streaming and their DVDs mm. or if they, because it was an expensive song or if it yeah. never was that song to begin with, because the subtitles do say cold plays clocks. And I'm like, this isn't that song. It's close, but it's not yeah. that. Well, and I think early, early, early two thousands, this is like right before streaming became kind of a big consideration. Whereas they, they never would have thought, Hey, I would have, we're going to stream this forever. I would have been, this is just for airing and maybe a DVD release. And that's it. That's why older shows, especially the farther back you go, it gets really difficult on how you could, could possibly use all the rights and have it streaming. People think it's just simple, but no, you have to, every, every piece of media that goes into that has to be licensed. Well, they did have the consideration for syndication. And since this show was in the fifth season when this episode aired, that would be a consideration that they did have versus streaming. I don't know the rules of that syndication versus streaming in terms of music rights, but yeah. they did at least know that this show is going to be in syndication now. Yeah. Um, but so that, that's one. Go ahead. So not to belabor uh, just how good Scrubs is at using, but I'm just curious for you guys' perspective on this. Is this the best use of a song in a Scrubs episode? What's your opinion? Probably. I can't think off the top of my head. The what was the one... song playing when in the Ben funeral episode? What was the song playing then? That was a good uh, one, too. I looked it up earlier. It's playing Winter. Um, I don't remember the name of the artist, but the song is um, Thinking of Winter. Your name is the splinter inside me. I don't know if that jogs the memory or not. Um, yeah. I would say the only one that's close, and I think probably is a little bit better uh, than the fray here. Here, uh, than the fray here is um, the finale playing Peter Gabriel's "The Book of Love." Yeah, "Book of Love" was going to be yeah. one of my answers. I also think in the final season when they ditch steak night to stay with the guy who's dying, and they play "I'll Follow You Into the Dark" is also a very good use of music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head, outside of those, it's hard to, to it's hard to even think of like qualifiers. Like I think of like the ninety nine red balloons when they're dancing in the room. I'm like, that's funny, but that's not like that's not going to be in the conversation. But. Um, the they use Hallelujah in the first season, which was really good. Um, yeah. uh, what's the what's the guy who we actually he was on several episodes of season one his music was and so he actually appeared i think in season two um and he's singing with his guitar oh um, overkill by the guy from, oh yeah uh, colin, uh, colin, colin hay colin hay, colin hay. Yeah. yeah from down from the minute work he comes from a land down under we're gonna go and then plunder yep he's he's the lead singer of that band in case you didn't get the joke brian 
Just didn't get it. Oh, that's the joke. That's why that's I continued it. Because I didn't know. He had a single album um, called Man Down Under. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry. Not Man Down Under. It was... <sighs> Man at man work. At work. That's yeah, that's what it was. Sorry, my brain has just stopped working. All of a sudden, I got an error message. Four hundred four. All right, going back into the actual. So this is this is again where this show gets th- this like the best episode title for me happens starting at this title card or not the title card starting at this needle drop, and it just is such a fantastic use of that song moving mm-hmm. into a fantastic use of laying out the stakes for us because that's again where we need the rule of three to have mrs sykes and mr dennison both of them die and we have a really unique camera idea where they have the camera above as everyone's standing around them the doctors are there and then they die the doctors walk away and the body fades away and they do that both times with mrs sykes and mr dennison i think that's a a good use especially how they're going to use it the third time but we'll get there in a second yeah and then the the part that really is a, a gut wrench right behind well, there's a couple gut wrenches, but the, the conversation that they had, and Brian, I'll let you feel it because you said you have this conversation like even completely memorized because it's a really good um, no, moment. Not this one, the one at the very end when he's walking out the door. Oh, that one. But still, yeah. this conversation is really good because it yeah. is as we've been alluding to this whole time, they get to flip that relationship because it was a really nice moment between Cox and JD at lunch. But then they have lunch again in a time where Dr. Cox needs it. And it was that same idea of like when it's good news for one doctor because, hey, it wasn't JD's fault. It was rabies. It's bad news for Dr. Cox and these three patients. Yeah. So in this scene, um, he's sitting down and talking with Dr. Cox. And there's really good, again, really strong writing to do a lot of legwork in a short amount of time. And he's saying there's – there's three reported cases of rabies a year. And these, these people, they didn't have the time it took to test for rabies yeah. or to test for all the litany of diseases. You needed these uh, organs and you needed them fast. And yeah. if you didn't ha- if you would have waited to test them, they would have died regardless. Yeah. And so Dr. Cox is like, well, I was obsessed. And it's like, JD's like, you had to be. You had to be that. I would have, you made a call and I would have made the same call. And you can tell like those, not only was that good logic that he used, but also to like solidify, you didn't do something wrong. This isn't on you. Yeah. When it shows that Cox does respect JD. Yeah. Like he takes value in knowing that JD would have made the same decision. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was like from a medical, you know, none of us are medical professionals, but like from the way that he laid the facts out, it sounds like that was a really good decision that I get that they, there, this is the reason that they test organs and they have to like, make sure they're good before they put them in. But it's like, if you don't have the time and you're like in the, you just got to hope for the best and roll the dice, who knows what would have happened, but you, you know, you got to go for it. And so then this is where that little gut punch, because right away, J- JD was like, okay, right then I knew I was going to pull him out of that. But then sometimes the hospital picks a day where it's just going to turn, where it's just going to pile it on their beepers go off. And we go to like such a well acted scene for uh, Dr. Cox. What, what's his name? Before, before we move on for just a moment there, uh, we'll point out though, the office having slightly ruined this scene. And that JD says there's three reported cases every year. And if you remember, Michael Scott says, myth, three Americans every year die from rabies. Fact, 
four Americans every year die from rabies. <laughs> Way to go, Michael Scott. Way to ruin rabies for us. But I believe this episode aired first. Yeah, I think it oh, did, yeah. So, so that's the myth that Michael Scott's trying to correct. Scrubs. <laughs> oh, there we go, yeah. The universe is colliding. Because, oh, um, unless you're going to use it for trivia, do you know the, the Scrubs and Office connection? Maybe. I believe we've actually already used it as trivia on an old episode. But when Pam and Jim find out that they are pregnant, they're in the, right. the Scrubs hospital. They used that set. Uh... You are right. Um, okay. Well, I want to move on because I really like this scene. Not the final one where he's walking out, but the, this scene specifically as the music ramps up and John C. McGinley is trying to save Mr. Bradford. I Yeah, I know it's the actor. But like I, I call it the actor because I feel like that's such good acting from him to see the frustration as he's fighting for Bradford's life. And it's like he's trying to fight and correct this mistake that he made. And he's fighting so hard. And the frustration that he has and, and the, the camera work that they do where they cut the frames per second because, you know, they film these things at 24 frames per second. But they cut they frame it like an action movie where they cut it down to like 20 or 21 frames per second that they're filming at. So the, the movement seems sharper. And it just puts you in that scene and the frustration and the panic of it to film it that way as he's trying to paddle charge these paddles and bring them back. And he throws the paddles at the thing and tosses the the chair over or the machine over. And Carlos there just like, I don't know what to do. He's, he's gone like that. Just the pain of losing him in that moment was so well done. And you feel that, that pain yourself. Like you, you, it's some, character that you had like four lines and you care about him dying because dr cox cares about him dying and it's hard to watch and it tears me up when i watch it i don't know if it did this time when i rewatched it but for the longest time i couldn't watch that part without tearing up when i know john c mcginley said that he actually cried during the scene and that to get himself into that emotional state uh he would think about his son who has down syndrome and that he would channel that emotion into his acting. Um, so it's, like it's hard to think that he's not, you know, so that frustration isn't actually boiling over in that moment. Yeah. I didn't realize that his son had that because that really brings home that one episode where his best friend comes over and he come, finds out that his son has autism and that like, you know, they were competing back and forth of who has the, who's the better dad. And it's like, this isn't a competition now. Like he has autism. That doesn't make him less. I'm not trying to win parenting because my son doesn't have autism, but I'm, I'm here to help you. And I believe that was all, wasn't that also uh, one of the guys from Spin City? It might've been, I never watched Spin City, so I didn't know. Um, I'm just going to say, I'm Spin City either, but I'll just say yes, Brian, it is the guy from Spin City. I'm sure you're right. I do know that a lot of the Spin City cast was on Scrubs. Yeah. Here's one thing I wanted to highlight about this before we get this final scene too. Cause like this, the final scene is really good because it's, it's the finalization of what happens in this moment when he loses Bradford. Um, but, but this scene itself, like the emotion packed in it, it, it's why I rank this show, this episode higher because like the finale or the Brendan Fraser episode, or there's some other ones, they're, they're very obviously going for the, 
the heartache. They're really trying to get an emotional response out of you. And yes, they are framing things in an emotional way for you. But I feel like, correct me if you, you're getting a different pulse on this, but I feel like this was accidentally as emotional as it is. I, I think that they were trying to go for a serious moment, but not have it be as heart wrenching as it is. And just the way that it came together between the acting and filming and the song, it just really elicited a strong response that I don't think anyone could have really predicted coming out of this episode. Possibly. I think they had all the elements though. So they, maybe they knew, but you never know. Yeah. I mean, I I mean there's they- other episodes where they have like, you know, it's, uh, how about like Turk at Christmas when like, he's like, I don't, I I'm giving up on my Christmas joy and stuff. And then like, he is able to save that person in the park. And they're very clearly going for an emotional response there, but not like an overt one, like the Brandon Fraser or the finale. And it succeeds in being, okay, you can tell it's serious, but it's not pulling something big from me. Whereas this one is like, yeah, I can tell it's being serious and it is actually in causing me to engage with what they're going for. That's I, mean, I, think they, I think they knew that it was going to be a very emotional scene, given that they had planned on this. This is in a lot of ways a two-parter with Dr. Cox's you know, depression carries on into the next episode. Um, I don't know if they – I bet they were even pleased with how well it worked. I'll give you that. Um, yeah. And I also think that unlike the other episodes, this one we crescendo to that sad moment – um, to the end of the episode so quickly there's not a lot left from here um, so we hit you know the Brendan Fraser episode you hit the sad moment with you know two or three minutes left this one you hit the sad moment with 45 seconds left probably yeah yeah probably yeah because it's like the other two die and you don't feel something and it's a good scene of them talking over lunch but then once the beepers go off, then you're right. It picks up. And so let's, let's hit that final scene because once again, it's really good continuation of what was going on as he walks out, Brian, you can go ahead and take it. Yeah. He mirrors the conversation. JD says, once you start blaming yourself for deaths that aren't your fault, you can't come back from that. And JD and Cox just looks back at him completely genuinely. Yeah, you're right. And he turns around and walks out the door. Yeah, and, and he gives us the reason why he take it he took it so hard. It, he he does spell it out for us. The the clues were there, and we knew it. But he right beforehand he says he could. Oh, what was it? Let me look. He could have waited a month for another yeah. kidney. He wasn't about to die, was he? He could have waited another month for a kidney. And like you're right, that does that is a reason that he could put that on himself because not all three of them were in the same ballpark. And, yeah. and so the JD's words that helped him get out of it, they're not there anymore because yeah. he did make the mistake and it cost Bradford his life. He could have been okay with the first two because they were nothing you could do. This one was different. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's tough. It's tough to watch that. And, and that's why Dr. Cox is such a compelling character because he is the type that, yeah, he gets all full of himself and yeah, he can be jerky to whatever the people around him, but he, he cares so deeply and he cares to the point that it actually is a fault because he, anyone who's in a profession like this, where they are surrounded by death like that, they, they know that they have to have a disconnect. 
that there has to be something. We saw it even in like a Kelso episode where the second he walks out of the hospital as he, his foot hits the ground, he's happy and excited and like he's he's fine. He can wash off the day except for that one that happens in that episode. Mm-hmm. But that Kelso or not uh, Cox, he cares so so hard and that he cares to put it on himself. And it's like you can't take someone else's problems and make them your problems in a profession like that. Because if you do, you burn out like how we see in this episode. Yeah. And especially the next one too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking of the Kelso thing like you were uh, just the coping mechanisms is Cox coping mechanism is that he's a jerk because he cares. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelso's coping mechanism is that he has to pretend he doesn't care. JD's coping mechanism is that he has to act insecure and act immature. Uh, they all have these coping mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why this show works really well too, is, you know, I, I've often said, like, I'm sure the elevator pitch for this is it's like teenage high school, but at a hospital. Cause like yeah. they, they do have those high school dynamics and the clicks and the, pranks and the weird messing with each other and all that sort of bullying and everything. But when it comes down to it, like when they, when something like this happens, you do see that come out. You do see them respond in a high school way of like, I can't handle it. I need, you know, I, I I have my things that I use to cope and I have the stuff that I, I go back to. Elliot gets all insecure and Carla just bulks up and she she mans up for lack of a better term. And she just will like face it head on like a bull. And you, they all have these different ways of responding that whether they're mature or not, that's what they do. All right. So um, bro, Mike, I know you that you said your favorite brand is, is Brand Fraser episode. I said that this is probably my favorite. And Brian, did we solidify that you said this is your favorite or, or do you, is there another one that you think might be a little better than this? I don't know what was my favorite, but it probably would have been one of those two. Sorry to not break the tie, but I, That's right. I said it's been a while. I used to watch Scrubs a lot and I, I haven't done it in a while. Ooh, yeah. Underrated Scrubs episode. Uh, the one with the Sesame Street characters. Oh yeah, which also okay. You know what? That could transfer into trivia unless someone else has something else. No, that's fine. I okay. think we we hit all the the pieces of it and didn't need to. Oh goodness! Did I just set Brian up for a Muppets comment? Actually, yeah. I mean, you um, knew what you're doing. <laughs> you know, you know the audience here. There's an episode of Scrubs where a few of the Sesame Street characters make make guest appearances. There is another episode where a major guest star of the episode is actually a Sesame Street Muppet performer. Either I don't remember him. him being in this, but I have a guess of who it is. Just because he's one of the few that I know also does live action stuff frequently. Okay. Gotcha. So you'll have to tell me who he, he plays. I'm sure it's a he. I keep saying he. But there, are there like big female Muppet performers? Because I can't think of any. Yeah. There are now. Um, well, be, well uh, the, the biggest one um, actually was in and he was in Frank Oz or she was in Frank Oz's documentary Muppet Guys Talking, which is a uh, Fran Brill. She's re- retired now, but she was she was a performer primarily on Sesame Street since the early 70s. OK. I just all the all the performers I can think of are all males. So it I, is it is a, a lot of it is a boys club. There are some women in there. 
I believe it. I'm sure, especially now. But yeah. Um. What? Okay. What was last? We, we talked, talked about Survivor. Survivor. That's right. Do you remember what the trivia was? I don't. I feel like that it was a you thing. It probably was. Let me pull it up quick. Because I remember the Andrew, I still remember the Andre Brower. No, it was, it was it was you. It was what movie did Colleen appear in? That's right. <clears throat> oh my gosh, that, I did do a couple in a row. All right. Well, we will go ahead and move into trivia. We won't ask this week's trivia quite yet. I know it breaks your perfect segue that you had, but I'm sorry. We're going to talk about last week's for just a second. We talked about Survivor last week. Mike, isn't Survivor season one so fantastic? No. (laughs) You're not a Survivor guy? I know you wanted me to lie there, but, you know, just just couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Or is it because because you think other seasons of Survivor are better? I got to be honest. I think I've seen maybe five minutes of Survivor. Were they trying to make fire? I believe they were trying to, I don't know. It didn't look good. I'm sorry, Brian. I made fun of the Muppets. Now I made fun of Survivor. I'm, I'm sorry. It's that all was- good. Don't worry. I, I, I know what I am. <laughs> they, were, they were trying to make a coconut radio. That's all I remember. I think you got the wrong show here, Mike. <laughs> all right. So last week we talked about Survivor and in Survivor season one, which was the crux of our episode, somehow we ended up talking about a bunch of other seasons, but we were supposed to talk mainly about season one, which I think we did. And uh, one of the contestants was Colleen. And what's her last name, Brian? Colleen Haskell. Colleen Haskell. She was one of the few that went on to actually be in a lot of, like big Hollywood production. And so we asked you what movie was it that she, uh, I wouldn't say star, but she was a co-star in. And that was the animal with a Rob Schneider. Yes. That Rob Schneider. I've seen it once. And all I remember thinking was, this is not a good movie. Now, I, I remember laughing a couple times, but I'm like, it's fine. It's a Rob Schneider movie that like, that speaks to the quality of it. So, I don't know how he got to be able to be a leading man for certain things. Like he's funny enough as a side character. I'm not going to say he's some great actor or anything, not by a long shot, but I mean, like he he's a character actor and he's funny in that regard. The making copies guy, hilarious. Yeah. You can do it pretty funny. They use it sparingly enough. Yeah. yeah, He shouldn't be a leading man. The bellhop. You're right. Yes. Coming along, Cedric. Yeah. All right. What's this week's trivia, Brian? We already did it. We did. <laughs> Here I was being like, oh, we're not going to do that quite yet. And we I did, did it backwards. We, we, and we did the new trivia before the old trivia. We did do that. Guys, yeah. this head trauma thing is not a joke. Don't hit your head super hard on stuff. No, I didn't do that. That's just how I, that's just the amount of brain cells I'm working with. But, you know, if you want to be like me. Well, that's all that we got time for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. If you haven't eaten lunch yet, go eat some lunch. Until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Brian. I'm Mike. And we're reminding you to stay tuned and keep watching.